You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. When someone proposed to me about a year ago that I interview someone named Eric Sadransk on Golf Yeah, I took a look at his background and immediately did not want to like him. Here was this young guy straight out of central casting with an MBA degree and a five handicap who had started a golf-related charity during the height of the pandemic to raise money for healthcare workers with the express goal to change the world. I thought to myself, this guy's got to be a snake oil salesman looking to make a quick buck during the global health crisis. So here we are, almost two years after Eric established his member for a day venture, and he's still plugging away, having raised nearly $3 million for a long list of worthy charities And according to him, he's just getting started. And although I don't like to admit when I'm wrong, I think I was dead wrong about Eric. He appears to be the real deal. And the reason I like him now is because he lives up to one of my personal mantras, which is to think globally and act locally. He's found a way to make the world a better place through the game of golf. And I'm not going to tell you Eric's story in this introduction because it's much more interesting when he tells it. But I am going to dig a little bit deeper into the real Eric Sadransk to find out what shaped his worldview and what makes him tick. So Eric, welcome to Golf Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a tough question right out of the box, which is, why doesn't your last name end with a Y or an I? Because <laughs> I just want to say Sadransky. Gordon, you are not the only one that feels that way. Whenever <laughs> I get a spam call, that's pretty much nine out of 10 times. So, I mean, is that something that got chopped off at Ellis Island? I mean, what's that's the deal? literally the exact story that we tell ourselves, but we have zero clue if that's true or not. Okay. How many pronunciations of your name are there? Because I was listening to that Golf Channel interview, and I think he pronounced it four different ways in the same clip. So, what's yeah, the question? <laughs> you know, I look at someone like Mike Krzyzewski, and I feel really bad. But ending in K is a little weird for people. So. Yeah. I just tell people, pretend the K is not even there. It's a lot easier to say. Okay. So how is it pronounced? Sedransk. Oh, it's Sedransk. Okay. Emphasis on the first syllables. Yeah. Sedransk. Okay. All right. See if I get it right. So all kidding aside, I mean, I'd like to start with your backstory. You know, the research I've done, I've, I've heard a lot about the, the charity and your work and why it got started. And I do want you to tell that story. But I want to know what preceded that. You know, your family, schools, you know, siblings, interests, influences, that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. I'll try to keep it short. I grew up in Westchester County, just north of New York City, played pretty much every sport but golf as a kid. And I was going to play college lacrosse. And then I heard he needed a disc in my neck junior, senior year of high school. And at that point, couldn't really play competitive sports, at least physical competitive sports anymore. And so I switched over to golf, figured I'd give it a shot. And boy, did I stink at it. But yeah, you know, I mean, I think what I'd like to note about my childhood was that uh, my parents encouraged me to to dream big and not just focus on money. And I think that ultimately kind of created who I am today. And 
even though I went to Wall Street for my first job out of college and thought that I was going to be Bud Fox and then eventually Gordon Gecko, that just wasn't in the cards for me. And ultimately, it took me to creating something like Member for a Day to realize that I was motivated by a lot more than just financial gain. So did you have a big family? Were you an only child? Or- older brother. Older brother. Okay. Was your father a commuter into the city? Am uh, I- yeah, he was a Garmento. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Rode Metro North? Rode the Metro North for 25 years. I may have seen him, actually. I ran out of Fairfield for 20 years into Grand Central. <laughs> I've been sitting next to him sure. for, for some time or other. Okay. So I'm interested in your um, Bear Stearns experience. Were you one of those guys standing in the street with your desk items in a box? How did that all come down? Yeah, I was, is the short answer. It was my first job at a college. So I was as green as they come. And I managed the risk. If you could believe this, I managed the risk for the treasury traders at Bear Stearns. So I was on the fixed income trading floor right next to the repo desk. I mean, I was, even though I didn't think I quite understood the magnitude of everything that was going on, it was right around me. And yeah, it was a weird time. I think for me, it was almost like a business case study. And I was fortunate because I'd only been there for a year and a half that my stock wasn't really vested. And even if it had, I didn't really have much stock. So it didn't really matter to me that much. But being around people, I mean, geez, there were a couple of guys in my greater desk that had been there for 30 plus years and had their entire life savings vanished within days, weeks, months, whatever you want to call it. It was a strange time. There were three months where we essentially got paid to do nothing. I had the fortitude to study for the GMAT, which ended up getting me into an MBA program. So that worked out great. Uh, One of the strangest stories that I have from that time was I mean, we literally were paid to do nothing. There was no work. So I just kind of wandered around the building a lot. And I was up at my friend's floor and I opened a random closet and I found this box of mugs and they were Bear Stearns Fund mugs. And I was like, wow, like these are going to be worth something one day. And so I just grabbed them because they were probably going to get thrown out. And a couple of years later, I put them on eBay and they sold like hotcakes I think I sold 12 mugs for like $400 in like four days. A lot of people, I guess, really like financial collapses and now they're going to be drinking their morning coffee out of it. So we can cut that segment out if you want. You're talking about selling stolen goods. (laughs) 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 Or we can leave it in and the SEC can prosecute you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I had the opposite uh, experience actually because one of my clients was Enron. I represented Andy Fastow during that whole Enron thing. And so I had a bunch of Enron paraphernalia, paraphernalia, including a set of head covers, golf head co- club with the Enron logo. And I put them on eBay and nobody wanted to buy them. Wow. <laughs> I still have them. So maybe they'll be worth something to my grandchildren someday. <laughs> so at any rate, so that's pretty interesting. I mean, that must have been some shock. Your first job out of school, it was the whole economic collapse. I mean, the whole economy was going on the toilet. That must have been of some concern to you, right? Yeah, although... I don't know why, but I had a, you know, it wasn't the first time because I was a senior when Hurricane Katrina hit. I went to, to Tulane in New Orleans. So within a, you know, a couple of years, I lived through one of the strongest hurricanes on earth and one of the greatest financial collapses. I mean, within a yeah. two or three year period. So 
I don't know. I guess I just developed thick skin pretty quickly. And maybe I was like, oh, this life is going to be really wild. Yeah, because disaster followed you everywhere, everywhere you went. <laughs> I liked the opportunity, Gordon. <laughs> okay. So that, but then I didn't realize this. You went to business school after Bear Stearns. Correct. Right. So yeah, were you in class with kids that had just recently graduated and had no real world experience? Were you like the seasoned guy? I was 28 when I started business school, which is pretty much spot on your average. So yeah, it was everything and anything in between. There was definitely a couple of kids that were 22. There were some that were well into their 40s and I was right smack in the middle. Okay. Okay. Now you have a really interesting LinkedIn profile. There's like this laundry list of startup companies, uh, <laughs> technology companies, uh, early birdies, stumble upon, signposts, dormy network, and puppy spot. So, I mean, you were really, first of all, you bounced around. I mean, why did that happen? You just got tired of the venture capital back tech space is volatile. No, a lot of it was getting laid off. I mean, I got caught up in stumble upon. I think they laid off 80% of the company. Puppy spot, they laid off a third of the company. Signpost, I think it was about the same. So it was just this kind of cycle. And that's the way it is in venture capital back tech is two years, try to grow it as quickly as you can. If they don't hit numbers, they cut that. Unicorns. Yep. So puppy spot, was that the equivalent of like chewy? Was it a dog food? No. Puppy spot is a very unique company. So for those that choose not to adopt and are looking for a specific breed, Puppy Spot is a two-sided marketplace that connects wannabe puppy owners with breeders that are vetted through this aggressively long laundry list of things. So they basically have this whole list of vetted breeders. They connect the two and they even ship slash transport the puppies. So you could have a Bernadoodle arrive at your doorstep through Puppy Spot. So a really, really interesting business. But it's funny you mentioned Chewy because I was brought in to grow what we called non-puppy revenue, which was essentially to grow a business of products, food, and services. And so I launched, you know, all these different products and it was an interesting experience. I'll tell you that, Gordon. Yeah, I should say. No, the reason I know Chewy is because I'd spend half of my disposable income on dog food and <laughs> because I have two knucklehead dogs that... Um, I'm the pet. They own me. So anyway, so you had a, a long list of companies. It wasn't like you just, you know, you, you got booted out of Bear Stearns and then you decided to, there were quite a few years in between there, right? So you'd been down the road a couple of times. So, okay. So now we're up to, what were you doing when you decided to do member for a day? You said you got canned from, was it Puppy Spot? It was Puppy Spot. Yeah. I got laid off and I realized I wasn't going to get a job for that beginning of COVID, it's so strange because we look back now and we almost forget of everything that happened. But those first few months, it was every company I was speaking to. I mean, I had gone through interviews with a couple big tech companies that had put me through six, seven rounds of interviews. And they just said, sorry, we're not continuing with hiring right now. So yeah, it was scary. Yeah. So where were you living at the time? So I was living in Jersey City, New Jersey, but then when COVID really hit, uh, I remember like you probably do, Gordon, middle of March when it started to get a little scary, I took off. I was very fortunate that I had a car and my mother lives in Hilton Head, South Carolina. So I figured that would be a much better place to walk, ride out the storm, if you will. Yes, right. They have a few golf courses down there too. And, and, and by the way, you have a neck problem, but I was watching a video of you. We'll talk about it a little later on your um, your video series. 
you have a really full backswing, so your neck doesn't seem to be bothering your swing at all. Rotational right? is okay. It's okay. Always up and down. Yeah. Okay. So you have a problem putting is because you have to. Putting's okay. Putting's okay. Yeah. Although I haven't been practicing much lately. Okay. All right. So, I mean, really, what was the spark of inspiration for you to, to start Member for a Day? And I know you've told this story a thousand times because I've listened to it 50 times. It seems to be consistent. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's all true. I was, like I said, I had left New Jersey. I'd gone down to Hilton Head and here I am. The weather went from 30 degrees to 70 degrees. I'm playing golf. I'm going to the beach. I'm spending quality time with my mother. I just lost my father oh, I'm sorry. a couple months prior. So it was a really good kind of bonding time for us. And all the while I'm seeing what what's happening in New York City. And my friends are posting on social media that they're taping their windows shut. And the cruise ship was coming up the Hudson to provide more hospital beds, Central Park into a hospital. It was just craziness. And honestly, I just, Gordon, as you probably have heard before, I just felt really, really, really guilty. And it was this guilt that led me to say, you know what? I'm going to do more than just look for a job right now. I'm going to do something positive in this world. And that was it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had I didn't want to create a platform or anything. This was just, I want to do something to help people. And I've been very fortunate in my adult life that I've played a lot of golf courses that I dreamt of when I was a child. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to these members, pros, superintendents, GMs, you name it, who have some sort of affiliation with a wonderful private exclusive golf club and ask them plain and simply, would they donate around a golf that I could auction off to feed hospital frontline workers in New York City. And that's how it all started. Now, I know when you start a new business, any kind of a venture, and one of the first questions that people ask is, how long you been doing this? Or, you know, show me some proof that this isn't a scam. So how did you get over that initial people not believing that this was real or that you weren't just going to, you know, take the money and run? Yeah, I think COVID lowered everyone's, or maybe I could say it in a more positive way. It brought us all together. And sure, I'm sure there were a lot of people that were like selling fake masks. There were. I mean, I remember reading the headlines. I guess people were just a little bit more trustworthy. And thankfully, in my case, I'm a trustworthy guy. Uh, But it is funny, Gordon, that you say that because every now and then we get messages on social media that says like, oh, yeah, play golf with Bill Murray. Sure. And I'm like, I respond with just sending them a picture that the person who won is now playing there. So Photoshop. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, fake news. Listen, I mean, there's always going to be people that are hating on what we're doing and, and saying yeah. very few and far between. And I think you're right. In the beginning, it could have been a challenge, but I think COVID just changed our society, the fabric of our society. And people were just looking for hope. And I think, you know, a tiny, 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 tiny way, what I had done kind of got everyone on Instagram's golf community together for a positive way and worked. And yeah. thankfully, they all got to experience amazing rounds of golf and raise a lot of money in the process. So at what point did you realize that this was more than just kind of a, a one-off thing to you know take care of the healthcare workers and that this could actually become a sustained enterprise? Yeah. So after that initial COVID auction, I wasn't really looking to do anything else. I spoke to the nonprofit that I fundraised for. I doubled their annual fundraising goal in one week. They had raised the same amount of money in an entire year up until I came there. Um, So they were wondering who the heck I was. And, you know, I don't know. I wasn't really thinking more than that. And then as fate would have it, a writer for Golf Magazine saw my story on social media and reached out. And I was very fortunate that I got uh, some nice press. I was happy to talk about 
you know, I'm not, I don't really like talking about myself, but if I can talk about myself to help raise money for charity, I'll talk till the cows come home. So I was lucky to have Golf Magazine write about me. And then Mark Canazaro, the lead sports writer for the New York Post, did a full page article on me. And that's when things kind of changed. And to answer your question, Gordon, I didn't know there was an opportunity. The opportunity came to me. And I described myself, you know, yes, I have an MBA from Babson. So I am a trained entrepreneur. But this was accidental entrepreneurship. And in some ways, that's the most beautiful part of this story is that I was just out there doing stuff for fun. And next thing you know, the American Cancer Society is calling me and saying, hey, can we do something together? I said, yeah. sure, let's go for it. How long did it take before you knew you needed extra bodies to make this thing work? Pretty quickly. I spent a lot of time working for tech companies, but always on the business side. I am not a developer or programmer or anything close to it. So I realized, I always told myself if I ever started a tech company, I would 100% have a technical co-founder. And I did. Uh, Joe Hughes is my technical co-founder. He's brilliant in every way that I'm not. And so that was immediate. And then pretty soon after, I mean, I was just, it takes a long time to build these auctions. It takes a long time to work with the nonprofits and, and talk to celebrities and all that stuff. And so actually our first real hire uh, came as an intern who found us on social media and we eventually hired him full time. Oh, cool. Is that how you spend most of your day talking to the charities, talk, reaching out to celebrities who might contribute? You know, most of my day is spent trying to figure out how we can grow the community. Because the most amazing thing to me is that we've raised just shy of $3 million, but our total community size is only about 25,000 people, which in the grand scheme of thing of like a, a technology platform is really small. Yeah. And so my goal is just grow that number to the moon, because I know that the bigger that gets, the more money we can raise for charity. It's pretty much a one-to-one -one correlation. Yeah. I mean, when you close your eyes at night, what number do you see? I mean, it, in terms of money raised or number of followers, whatever metrics you want to use, you must have some kind of a vision or a goal in mind. I really don't, Gordon. I just, my vision is more just that I want, and I think it's just part of my nature is I'm not really good at goal setting because I just have like an infinity goal. It just never, so I don't ever stop to be like, good job, you did this. It just keeps going. But I just really want to just create the largest golf philanthropic platform in history, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. So if we can raise, you know, tens of millions of dollars, maybe we'll raise a hundred million dollars one day. I don't think that's out of the, the realm of possibilities, but I really have never sat down and kind of thought about it because as I mentioned, this is accidental entrepreneurship. I just wanted to raise $10,000 for New York City Hospital Frontline Workers. Right. Somehow we raised $100,000. Now here we are a little under two years later, and we've raised almost $3 million. Don't you already have the biggest dedicated golf-related charity? <laughs> With the exception of individual tournaments where they, you know, yeah. raise money. I don't know. I just know that, again, given our size, we're still small in the grand scheme of philanthropy. And so I just know we just, like you said before, like we are really just getting started. And I truly mean that. Yeah. What did your mother have to say about all this from the outset? And, and currently, is she surprised at what's happened? And yeah, it's so beautiful because like I said, my father passed away a couple months later. I'm down there spending time with her during COVID. And I just started this literally over the kitchen table while she was, you know, cooking me dinner at night or something like that. And I watched the whole COVID auction with her. We were we had the numbers up on a big TV screen looking at them. So yeah, it, it's crazy. And she's been my biggest supporter and cheerleader since day one. And I think, you know, it was a big leap of faith because 
I remember I took this fateful bike ride and I came home and I said, I'm not going to look for a job anymore. I'm going to just do what makes me happy and help people. And probably in the back of my mother's mind, a little bit was like, how are you going to pay rent? <laughs> but again, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, my mother is a dreamer and, and is a big supporter of, of me and what I'm doing. And to answer your question, no, she had, like cannot believe where we're at at this point. I mean, $3 million for charity is a lot of money to be raised in less than two years. Sure. What does your brother do? My brother is a CPA and works for uh, one of the largest ad agencies in the world. Really? Cool. Yeah. Were you close with your dad? Very close. Yeah. Yeah. Did you used to go into the office with him? Uh, did he have his own company or did he work for a big No, he didn't. He worked for another company. Yeah. I went into his office a ton. His office overhanged the Thanksgiving Day parade route. So I remember oh, cool. sitting in the window and looking at the floats going by. But yeah, he was my best friend. He was my golf partner. Uh, he passed away of ALS, which is just a horrendous hurt. Oh, oh, yeah. He was suffering for, for five years. But I'm really excited, a full circle, that we will be doing a lot of work with the ALS Association this yeah. year, hopefully raising a ton of money. You know, that had to shape your worldview too, you know, because that is a, such a debilitating disease over such a long period. That had to give you a different, very different perspective on life and its value, wouldn't you think? You know, For sure. I mean, I dedicated like the last year of his life completely to him. I just spent as much time as I could and to be there. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, helping your dad change, you know, his underwear and stuff like that is things I just never thought I'd have to go through. Yeah. But it certainly furthered my belief that this is not a rehearsal. We only get one shot at this life and I'm not going to just work a job that makes me unhappy just to have a paycheck. And yeah. so I know that I'm on the right path and I know I'm doing what's right. You know, could I make more money working for Google or Boston Consulting Group? Probably, but I'm not, I wouldn't be having as much fun and I certainly right. wouldn't be having as much of a difference. So yeah, this business since day one has been an honor of my father. And yeah. there's, there's been so many things that have made no sense at all in a positive way that I just look up and just say, thanks dad, because there's yeah. no other reason for it. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. Of course. It's really nice. Let's shift gears a little bit. Tell me about your golfing career. I'm, you kind of pissed me off that you're five handicap and you say, well, I never really played golf as a kid. Well, I played golf as a kid and I still suck. <laughs> so maybe your dad gave you that. I don't know. But did you belong to a club when you lived in Westchester County? I did not. Yeah. My father was a triathlete and a basketball player. We were not a golf family and he retired at the ripe age of 50. Thankfully, given he passed away at 72, he at least had um, some retirement years, but he was looking for something to do. My mom suggested golf. He dove into it. We kind of fell in love together. I was not good to start. I really wasn't because I like a lot of, I think, athletes that transition to golf just want to swing harder and harder. And all it did was just make my slice go further and further right. But eventually, I just started to really fall in love with the mental side of the game. It became meditation for me. It became a way to get off my phone for a couple hours and just be with friends outside. And eventually, I played in a couple state tournaments in New Jersey, played in a couple state amateurs. I don't think I ever qualified for the AMs, but I became really intrigued by four ball and connected with a former fraternity brother of mine. He played high school golf. I didn't play any competitive golf. And him and I somehow made it to the round of 16 twice 
in the New Jersey State Four Ball. And we were playing against, I mean, I remember one team we lost to in the round of 16. One guy played at St. John's, the other one played at Vanderbilt. So we were playing against some real good golfers, but we just had so much fun. And I just love four ball because when I was playing in the amateurs, if I got paired with a couple guys who weren't really that talkative, were just focused on their game, I was out there for five hours by myself. (laughs) And I don't really want to be just out there just competing by myself. So to be out there with a friend and if I hook one out of bounds, he can put one in play and we're off and running. And I just love team golf and uh, we just had so much fun. And so when I get kind of back into competitive golf, it'll be much more sort of four ball alternate shot style. Yeah. Now this, your organization has allowed you to both play on or at least have access to some pretty nice courses, right? Absolutely. Uh, any of them stand out in your mind, the courses that you think are wonderful and you're shaking your head? <laughs> the list <laughs> I know. is long. The list is yeah. long. Yeah. You know, I usually say uh, the few that come to mind, I love Lancaster Country Club in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think it's one of the most underrated golf courses in the country. I think if it was in the New York suburbs, it would easily be a top 100 course. I love the golf courses in the Sand Hills of Nebraska. In general, I don't like traditional parkland back and forth golf courses. I like big, bold designs like David McClay Kidd and Tom Doak. I like golf courses that are out in wild destinations like Montana and Oregon and Nebraska. But yeah, listen, I could go on and on. I mean, you know, if we're talking about Met courses, I love Sleepy Hollow. Fisher's Island is one of the greatest golf experiences that I've ever had the pleasure of playing. Yeah, the one that I usually try to bring up is Lancaster. I think it's an amazing golf course. Yeah. Have you read Tom Coyne's book, Course Called America? Absolutely. Yeah. So you you probably played a number of those courses. A couple of them. I mean, listen, it's funny, actually. So I met Tom through that book. So I played at um, Crystal Springs up in New Jersey with Tom for that book. I don't think it made the copy of the final of the book, but I played around with him as part of A Course Called America. Well, wait a minute, because I played with Tom Coyne at Crystal Springs. Really? Yeah. Which Where you? Day. I think you've had multiple days. I played oh, the okay. Springs course, which always kills me. I think I lose 10 balls every time I play there. You must have played what, what, the other course? I don't know what the other course is. Because my there's a picture of a selfie. I'm in the book. I'm in the background. I am too. Maybe we're in the same picture. I can take another <laughs> look at that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I played so horribly, though. I did remember, too. Remember the guy who, at the par three, put three balls in the water? That was me if, if I was in your group. <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> anyway, so that's pretty funny. So listen, let's go back to you. I want to talk a little bit more about your member for a day. So yeah. how has it changed radically from your original vision? I mean, what did you learn or what course corrections did you realize you had to make? Yeah. I mean, again, the original vision was nothing. It was just to help hospital okay. frontline workers. There was nothing more than that. I just the original- oh, But I mean, for logistics wise, because you, you need to make the thing run you yeah know, yeah as a process absolutely but the hardest thing in terms of logistics is the scheduling of the rounds so we are doing all of the scheduling of the rounds which is a big help for the nonprofits because if a nonprofit runs their own auction and let's say they do 50 rounds of golf that takes a long time yeah and so one of the big investments we made last year was we actually built our own custom scheduling software so that everything from the intake. So when a host says, I am hosting around at Wingfoot, threesome with a member, blah, 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 any descriptions, limitations, it's all custom, goes into the back end of our software. 
as soon as the auction ends, everyone gets automated triggered emails asking for dates that work for them. And then we have a dedicated customer service team that work for them to help schedule their rounds because some of these are really hard, especially with celebrities. Yeah. Their schedules are crazy and rightfully so some, you know, every now and then a, a winner of the round is like, you know, I've been waiting three months to schedule this. I cannot possibly find a date that works. So there's no question the most challenging logistics part, which is something I'm a biz dev guy, right? The only thing I think about is growth, 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 growth. I'll hire someone to figure out the rest. Yeah. And my, my co-founder makes fun of me all the time, but it's the truth. Yeah. Scheduling and logistics. I'm very happy that we have some really smart people on our team that are working to make that as efficient as humanly possible. Yeah. Because your reputation is is based a lot on delivering. It's in absolutely. the details. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So, I mean, if you don't get those right, you know, you kind of lose your franchise. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's, again, I think we do make it clear. Maybe we, we should make it clear that we're not golf now, right? It's, you're not just booking a tee time. Yeah. You've got that tee yeah. time. So some people every now and then think, you know, if I win around at X golf course, I can play anytime I want. Of course, that's not the case. It is on a mutually agreed upon date with your host. And sometimes they're challenging, but we do our best and to try to be a customer service focused organization. Yeah. Will you share with me a disaster story? <laughs> well, I don't think we've really had any disasters. We had a close one. There was uh, a guy went around with Roy Williams, the former North Carolina coach, uh-huh. and it was scheduled and they were going down in like four days. And all of a sudden I get a note from Roy Williams' executive assistant that says, Roy has no idea about this. And I just uh-huh. go, oh my goodness gracious. And uh, so that's when we just sprang into action and somehow he made the date worked. And I got a call from the winner who's now a really good friend of mine. And he said, Eric, I don't know how you got that done. It was almost a disaster, but that was a top three day of my life. Wow. So how did that happen though? I mean, how did he not know about it? Did you forget about it? No, we had, you know, the scheduling software was new. And, um, you know, it basically the messaging made it look to the winner as if Roy had confirmed it, but it was unconfirmed. And again, you know, these are things that we're trying to figure out to make the scheduling software as bulletproof as possible. But it was early stage tech and there was a bug. Yeah. Who makes the celebrity solicitations? Do you do that personally? So that's the secret sauce of our platform is we don't get any of the golf experiences. The nonprofits do. So we partner up with a nonprofit. The nonprofit uses their donor network, connections, board of directors, et cetera, to get all the golf experiences. So we are just the platform. We're the intermediary that makes sure that as many people as possible see it, raise as much money as possible, and of course, scheduling it as well. Okay. Now, if I go to your website now, which I did the other day, you have like 64 different, some significant number of matches that are up for auction. Is that a normal number of... Auctions that are- we've been on a crazy run. Yeah, we've been on a crazy run. The, end, the short answer is no. The last two and a half weeks, we've raised almost $400,000 in the last two and wow. a half weeks. So we've been on a pretty crazy run. But no, I would say our average auction probably has about 20 golf experiences. So yeah, the one right now is massive. I think it actually, they've added rounds. So now there's over 70 rounds. Wow. And so they're going to raise a lot of money, which is great. But no, I'd say our average is like 20 to 25 rounds. I would imagine it's seasonal. To some extent, right? Not really, Gordon. That's the crazy thing. And I think it goes to the sense that we are offering once in a lifetime golf experiences. So when you, okay. you know, if we sell around, uh, auction off around a golf at Wingfoot, whether it's February 1st or July 1st, 
somebody's going to pay a lot of money for that because yeah. they can't get on. So it's actually not seasonal at all. Actually, in winter, sometimes we see higher multiples because everyone in the Northeast is just cooped up in their apartment dreaming of golf. And the only thing they can do is kind of plan their season ahead. Yeah. What's been the most successful, at least money-wise, auction individual, you know, prepared with a club member? Um, uh, oh, for one round of golf? Yeah. The single largest amount of money we've raised on one round of golf was over $22,000 for a round with Ken Griffey Jr. at Grove 23, which is Michael Jordan's club. So that was a special. Okay. okay. Do you have a group of guys who are part of this? Their goal is to play every top 100 course in the world or in the United States that keep coming back? Repeat customers? Do you have a number of those? Yeah, absolutely. And we actually were working on kind of creating a membership for them right now because we're noticing exactly that, that we do have people that come every single auction and bid aggressively. And so we're working on a bit of a membership to give them some benefits and ultimately kind of create a little bit of a a more of an intimate community. Yeah. Have you thought about other kinds of divisions based on what you've learned and what you see as successful, you know, like a golf event planning business? I mean, you could do a bunch of things based on as your reputation grows, you know, and as you get contacts with people. Yeah. We're going to host a couple events this year. So we're just going to have our own. They're just going to be fun. Kind of that member for a day type experience. Like we're, we're hosting our first uh, at Ridgewood Country Club on May 24th. It's just a small event, only 40 people. So probably by the time this airs, it'll probably be sold out. So we'll do a couple events. We're going to launch merchandise soon. But, you know, I think where we are ultimately going, I don't know if where we are, but, you know, we are hyper-focused on golf right now. But when I think about this platform growing, it almost seems like it would be a disservice to limit it just to golf because mm-hmm. we could do experiences like wine tasting and yachting and deep sea fishing, whatever it is. And even though I might not be totally in love with those ventures, if we can raise more money for charity, I certainly have to give it a thought and consideration. So for right now, we're hyper-focused on golf. We will be for the next X amount of years. But I'm not really sure what the future holds for Member for a Day. Okay. Things also seem to come your way as a result of being in, for example, that Hearts videos. And I watched a bunch of them. I mean, you're like, a, it's like you were doing this your whole life. You're like a movie star. So maybe, <laughs> maybe the movie could. So tell me, what's the backstory on that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know about that. If you watched the first episode with Lee Wybranski, that was like the first time I'd ever been on camera. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I was very fortunate that. Uh, one of my board advisors, a guy named Jeff Stewart, who runs a sports marketing agency called Invincible. He's just the best guy in the world. Just gave me all the confidence and told me, just get up there, be yourself, have fun. We'll make you look good, which is all I really needed to be told. Yeah. you know, Again, I'm always trying to figure out ways of growing our platform, uh, getting more people aware of what we're doing. And so one of the ideas that me and my team had was to create a digital content series and ultimately kind of spread the gospel about all the money that we're raising for charity. And I mean, I kid you not, Gordon, I I posted on LinkedIn and just said, I'm looking to connect with a brand in the travel space, whether it's car rentals or or airlines or hotels. Then a friend of a friend connected me with someone who then knew someone at Hertz. And I got on a Zoom call with their head of global marketing. I told him my story. He had no idea who I was. And over a Zoom call, he just kind of fell in love with my story and, you know, agreed to sponsor me to make a TV show, even though I'd never been filmed once before in my entire life. 
I don't know. You, you look pretty smooth there. I, were you reading from cue cards? Because it didn't look like it. Not at all. No, it was completely unscripted TV. We were just wow. having fun. And yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, because it does depart from golf. You know, you you got one bird section, then you're flying around in a Paris glider and <laughs> a whole bunch of funky things. I understood the value for you because I thought it was great to expand, you know, your brand and your network. I couldn't figure out what was in it for Hertz, though. You know, there were no big heavy car presence or, you know. Just a little bit. Yeah, I think what Hertz saw in me and Member for a Day is a brand that's doing a lot of good in the world. And Hertz had a tough year last year. They had a lot of really tough headlines. And for a relatively small amount of money, they were able to sponsor us and tell great stories and attach their name to it, which I think a company like them is more than willing to do. Yeah. Have you ever turned down a charity? You don't have to name it. Uh, <laughs> let's put it in a more positive light. Yeah. I mean, do you have specific types of charities you're looking for that you'd like to focus on? Not really. You know, Gordon, the first question is more kind of appropriate in the sense that, you know, because the way our model works is the golf is the nonprofit has to get the golf experiences. That is a, a self-selection process. The second thing, though, is they have to be a nonprofit in good standing. And so have we ever, you know, been approached by a nonprofit where we checked on Charity Navigator or GuideStar and said, eh, yeah, it's happened a couple of times. And we just... Yeah didn't respond to them or just said, you know, it's not right. But, you know, again, pretty much every nonprofit we've worked with has been a referral or a word of mouth. And so because of that, they kind of come with that recommendation already. And so we're very fortunate that we've worked with some amazing organizations who are truly doing good in this world. Yeah. Tell that story because I listened to you tell it on one of the other podcasts. So I do listen to, not that I compete with anybody. You told the story about a charity having to do with a zombie in a village mm. water supply, yeah. which I think is pretty cool because it was, it was real granular, but it really made a big difference in the lives of a lot of people. Right? Yeah. So very fortunate that I got connected with Golf for Africa, which is a six-time major winner, Betsy King's organization. And their goal is to end the global water crisis by 2030. I mean, it's huh. a pretty aggressive goal. And you know their stats for $50 a rural African can have clean water for life, which is just like a staggering number yeah. to me. And we have raised well over a quarter of a million dollars for them in a year. And, you know, I haven't been able to go over there yet, but it is in the cards. COVID has obviously made it quite challenging, but there's no doubt about it that we're going to be creating some content going over there and actually showing, because to me, it's one thing to raise a lot of money for charity. It's another thing to be like, hey, do you remember the quarter of a million dollars we raised for Golf for Africa? This community in Zambia now will have fresh water for life. And to show that, to me, that's like, that's the next level of where Member for a Day is going. Yeah. Do you share those stories on your website? As often as we possibly can. But we're probably not doing quite a good job yet. Talk to me about the Children's Miracle Network. Is that a Jack Nicholas? Play yellow. Jack Nicholas. Yeah, he wore the hat for the opening T-shirt at the Masters. Yeah, this auction was a long time coming. It, it just ended last week. We ended up raising, I think, about $130,000 for them. It was entirely celebrity-driven. So we had 51 golf experiences all across the country with celebrities and pro athletes. So we had actors, we had musicians, and we had a ton of former pro athletes across all different sports. And just how cool, like, you know, play golf with Rob Riggle, play golf with Jack oh, yeah. Wagner, play golf with Colt Ford, play golf with 
Gary Sheffield with uh, Clyde Drexler. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. But a really, really fun one, one that took a lot of planning and work and will certainly take a lot of work to schedule. But yeah, super cool auction. Just to show you what a crank I am, two or three years ago, I was at the PGA Golf Merchandise Show in Orlando and I was walking around and Jack Nicholas had this organization, Project Yellow, what's it called? Oh, yeah. Had a booth there and I had heard nothing of it. So this guy comes up to me and I said, what, what are you all about? And he's explaining to me. And I said, this is, sounds really interesting. He said, yeah, it's sponsored by Jack Nicholas. And I have never been a fan of Jack Nicholas. I just think he's a big crank. But at any, <laughs> but at any rate, so I go, oh, Jack Nicholas, forget it. And I walked away and I thought to myself, what? Are, that was mean. I, I shouldn't have done that. But I blame my Scottish roots for that. Yeah, at any rate, doing so, good stuff for the kids. Is this going to be your life's work? Do you think this is it for you? I mean, it's going to take, as you suggested, might take different forms and paths, but it sounds like this is a lifelong commitment for you. Yeah, I certainly have no idea where this journey is headed, but I'm not looking to do anything different than I am right now. I'm not okay. looking for a job or anything to sell this company or anything close. I'm having so much fun. I'm meeting so many smart people along the way. And so I guess the short answer would be, yeah, it is. Yeah. So you got seven people working for you. That's right. Correct? Yeah. Is that a pain in the butt? It's terrible. I mean, there could be great people. I don't know if you like managing people. Some people. Yeah. You know. That's a larger topic, Gordon. But what I'll tell you is that in my career, I had some amazing bosses and I had some absolutely horrendous bosses. And I thank them both because what they did was help me learn to be the best possible boss I can be. And so yeah. our team is 100% remote. To give you an example, our head of operations has been traveling from Vancouver Island all the way down. He's now in Santa Barbara with his wife and dog for the past three months and working very hard, but traveling the whole time. Wow. And that's how I always wanted it to be. I never understood why with the internet, we needed to be in an office. Why can't we be in Bali working just as hard as we would in, in midtown Manhattan? So I empower my team to work as hard as they possibly can autonomously. They have total control of their work. I hope they all have fun. We work hard for our nonprofit partners because they deserve that. But yeah, it's terrifying to have the amount of salaries that we have to cover. But thankfully, we're having a lot of success. We're growing and, and we don't have any issues at all. Okay, cool. So let's get into the personal side of Eric. Let's go. No, no idea. <laughs> so, I mean, are you single? Are you engaged? Are you, you have kids all over the country? I mean, what's... What, what's the personal side? Girlfriend, certainly not married or engaged and no kids. So um, member okay. of her day is kind of my wife these days. Do you, other than golf and your this enterprise, what do you do for fun? I mean, are you a foodie or do you read books? What, <laughs> what's, what's the other side? Yeah, I love the outdoors. So I do a ton of, of hiking and adventuring, backcountry skiing, uh, go on as many road trips as I possibly can. I'm a, a vegetarian slash vegan, so I, I'm not a foodie. I like to just eat vegetables and as many as I can. And yeah, honestly, just I'm still at this point trying to figure out where I want to live. I've been the most fortunate thing about Member for a Day and COVID is that it allowed me to leave New York City, which I wanted to for a while. And now I've been yeah. spending half the year in Scottsdale, Arizona, and half the year in Bend, Oregon, up in Central Oregon, where I am right now, which is just amazing. Oh, cool. So I can be outdoors and go paddleboarding and mountain climbing and you name it. Yeah. Do you get to see your mother a lot? Is she still down Hilton Head? She is. I'll be there. I'm, I'm going to be there for the Heritage. So I'll oh, be cool. 36 hours and I can't wait. I played the best round of my golf on that golf course, believe it or not. I saw with the a, photo on your website. I was going to ask you. You must love yeah, it. 
with a set of rented clubs and I played with these three judges from Georgia, retired judges. And I sit on the first tee and they're all, they're trying to size you up. You know, they're like, do you suck? And I'm like, yes, I suck. I'm like a double bogey on a good girlfriend, a good day. Well, I get up there and you know, the story was like par birdie, birdie, bogey, par, par. And these guys are like, yeah, sure. You suck. Well, they did suck. (laughs) my normal game, but it was the best round I ever had. And I don't know what I've never had as good a round. I tell you what, you must be accurate off the tee, Gordon, because that is a narrow golf course. I know. I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I I think I lost one ball on the 18th hole. I shanked one off to the left, (laughs) approaching that last uh, green there before you get to the, uh, at any rate, a couple more questions. Now you've said, you've talked about your listen to the heart philosophy, which I think is great. So how do, how do you convince some recent college grad where you were, you know, from doing what you love is more important than making a lot of money. How yeah. do you go about explaining that to somebody? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question because I was asked to speak to a group of grad students at Long Beach State who are taught by one of my clients who runs the Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation, the nonprofit arm of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And we talked a lot about this, especially for them because they're studying sports management. And you know, it was important to me because I chose to go to Wall Street after college because I wanted to make a ton of money and retire early and then become a politician. That was my goal. And it's just so silly to delay happiness for later. Like, why would I sacrifice my happiness when I'm 22 to be happy when I'm 60? Honestly, Gordon, I think a lot of it comes down to golf because in golf, I played with a lot of people who are much older than me. I'd play with my dad and his friends. And every time I'd go to the first tee, they'd say, how old are you? And I would say, I don't know, 27th. But man, I would give every penny I have in my bank account to be 27 again. So if a 65-year-old wants to give away all of his wealth to be 27-year-old and broke, why am I wasting my time now to be rich in 65. And so I think it was just spending a lot of time with people like that and ultimately realizing that, you know, I would look around when I was at Bear Stearns and there were so many smart, hungry individuals that I never would be able to compete against. They would always be better than me because they truly loved it. And I didn't. And so I ultimately knew that the only way I could be great at something is if it was here in my heart. Because yeah. otherwise, I'm just kidding myself. Otherwise, I'm just an actor. I would go to work and I'd put on a suit and I would be a, a Wall Street guy. But it was just an act. It wasn't the truth. Now, when I'm doing a member for a day, it doesn't even feel like work. It just feels like an extension of who I am as a person. And so all I said to those people was, you know, the earlier you can get into the path of the career that you want, the better. Forget about if you make 25 or 30 grand at your first job. That's okay. I will show you emails, Gordon. When I was graduating from business school, I emailed every single sports agency in the world and said, I will work for you for free for three months. Not a single one took me up on that, right? It wasn't about the money for me. I just knew that if I got into the golf business side, I would be really good at it. And so I just needed my in. And you know what? I just had to kick in the door myself and start my own company, which is fine. Yeah. Well, listen, Eric, I have to tell you, I apologize for not wanting to like you before I met you. <laughs> I like you now. I like your story. You got a great story. I wish you nothing but the best. And I have no doubt that you'll succeed on whatever basis you consider to be important. And I have a strong sense that you'll inspire a lot of people along the way because you have that that kind of spark in, in you. Thanks, Gordon. Um, I really appreciate it. So here's my last question. What have I not asked you that you want to give an answer to? Oh, man. The last question was great. I think it's a perfect one to end on because it really goes down to the heart of everything I'm doing. But I think 
the one thing I'll leave you with, or so I guess it's more just, I'll just kind of answer my own question is that I've learned now that having a business with a charitable component to me is not just a nice to have, it's a necessity. Any businesses that are just creating just financial wealth for the sake of creating financial wealth almost seems silly in this day and age. And so I've now learned that not only is a good business in the sense that people are attracted to member for a day because we are really doing good work. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the money that we are raising is going to nonprofits. We take a small amount, but it's just the right thing to do. It's like, why why are we just creating financial wealth to create financial wealth if we're not going to make the world a better place for the next generation? And so I just encourage all future entrepreneurs listening to just think about more than just financial gain. Think about leaving the world a better place for the next generation. I appreciate you giving me your time. I've enjoyed our conversation. And the first thing I'm going to do after I hang up is go get Tom Coyne's book and see if we're in the same picture together. (laughs) That would be hilarious if we were. So thanks again, Eric. Absolutely, Gordon. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com.